The Lord be with you. Today is my second Father's Day. There's me and my daughter Sophia. She is now one year and nine months old. Um, and, and because Sundays are kind of a busy day for me, Annalisa, my wife, and I have realized that maybe it's better to celebrate Father's Day earlier in the week. So a couple days back, we were reflecting on what this year has been like for me as a father. And, and one of the things that we talked about is that there has been actually a lot of problems this year. Uh, for me as a father. And, and the problem really comes around the fact that Sophia still isn't walking yet at age one year and nine months, which means she's about nine months delayed on walking. In fact, she only started crawling at age one and a half. And that worried us. And so for the past year, we've been taking Sophia to, to doctors, to doctors in Chico, to doctors in Sacramento, lots of doctors. And the doctors, they look at Sophia and they say, well, there doesn't seem to be a problem with her physically. She has a little low muscle tone, but, you know, honestly, so do I as her dad, right? Like, I'm not working out constantly. But the, point, the way my mind works, it's to go like, well, if... if she has this problem that she's not walking, and the problem isn't with her. Is the problem with her dad? Right? Is it that I have not been raising her right? Have I been not giving her enough tummy time? Have I been picking her up and carrying her, and then instead of letting her struggle and, and build up those muscles that she needs to crawl, am I just not a good enough dad? That's the problem that I see. In our gospel to lesson today, Jesus also sees the problem. He looks out, and he's been going around, and he's been teaching, and he's been healing. He's been doing as much as he can for everyone in, in the Judean countryside. And he sees that there are still crowds of people. There are still crowds of people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and that's a problem. And the way my mind works is to say, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Aren't they supposed to have a shepherd? Jesus, isn't that supposed to be you? What's wrong with you, Jesus? Get your act together. Be the shepherd you're supposed to be. That's the problem I see. But while I see the problem, Jesus sees the promise. And what Jesus does is he raises up 12 of his disciples. And he sends them to do the same ministry that he has been doing, to preach and to heal. And I see a problem with those 12 disciples that he's raised up. And the problems are pretty obvious. Thomas is a doubter. Peter will deny Jesus. Judas will betray Jesus, James and John. They'll try to make a power grab asking for a position at Jesus' right and left hand when the kingdom of God comes. Matthew's just straight up a tax collector. That's no good. The other disciples, well, maybe I can't think of anything bad to say about them, but can you think of anything good to say about them? When's the last time you heard something good about the ministry of Bartholomew or Thaddeus? Yeah, I didn't think so. Right? If the best we can say about these people is they didn't make the news, what kind of disciples is Jesus raising up? I see a problem here with the leadership that he's choosing. 
But where I see a problem, Jesus sees the promise. And I want to be clear, when I say Jesus sees the promise, I don't mean Jesus sees the promise in the sense of like, oh, I see promise in that person with just enough encouragement and enough training, that person's going to become a superstar. No, that's not what I mean. Because let me tell you what, Jesus offers the best encouragement and training and support anyone could ever ask for. And you know what happens to Judas? Right? He betrays Jesus, and then his career ends real fast because he ends himself. That's not the kind of promise that Jesus sees in these disciples. No, the promise that Jesus sees in these disciples is the promise that Paul tells us about in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. That God proves his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. That's the promise. That promise is the bedrock of our faith. It is the promise that no matter how bad we are, God always wants good for us. That even when we're at our worst, God wants for us the very best. That even when all we have to offer is death, God will give up everything to give us life for no other reason then God is our Heavenly Father, and we are God's children. That is the promise. And Paul says that promise allows him to boast in his sufferings. He says that that promise allows him to boast in his sufferings because then his sufferings produce endurance and his endurance produces character and that character produces hope and that hope doesn't fail. And I want to be real clear about what he's saying because I think sometimes we hear this and we think something along the lines of what the dad from Calvin and Hobbes thinks. I don't know if you're fans of Calvin and Hobbes, but Calvin's the six-year-old boy. He says to his dad, why can't we get a snowblower? We must be the only family in the world that still shovels the driveway by hand. I'm freezing. His dad says, it builds character. Keep at it. Calvin's dad's motto is, anything that you do that makes you suffer, it builds character, so it must be good. Let's make Calvin suffer as much as we can. That's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is, I may have problems, but I have a promise from God. That promise from God is that God loves me unconditionally. That even when I am a sinner, Jesus is willing to die for me, to prove God's love for me. And because I have that promise, the problem doesn't define my reality. The promise does. It doesn't take away the problem. It just means the problem doesn't get to decide who I am and how I'm going to live my life. The promise gets to decide that. And the promise is that no matter what happens, God loves me and will be with me and will get me through what I'm going through, even if to get me through I have to go to the grave and out the other side to resurrection. But God will get me through. And Paul says that because this has proved true in his life over and over and over, that in all his promise, in all his problems, the promise of God's love still holds and gets him through. He has learned to endure. 
he has learned that he can get through. And that endurance has produced in him character. It has made him who he is today, a person who has hope. Hope, not that everything is going to work out exactly the way that he wants it to. No, not at all. It is a hope, a hope that doesn't disappoint because it is the hope that God will pour out God's love into his heart through the Holy Spirit, who seems to be calling us right now. I know, sorry. I bet if you give it to our AV desk, they can help you out. They're really good at this sort of thing. Here, I'll pass it on. Uh, there is grace for you, too. Huh? <laughs> Paul's hope is that God will pour out love into his heart through the Holy Spirit. And he says it is that hope which never fails. It is that hope that God's love will always be there for him that never fails. And because he has that hope which never fails, his reality can change. Because he knows that no matter how big his problems are, God's love for him is bigger still. And, why that, and because of that, Paul will boast in his sufferings. Not because he's so great because of his sufferings. He boasts of his sufferings because he has been able to see in his problems God's promise. And he wants us to do the same in our lives. Because that is what Christ does. I said that Jesus looks out at all these crowds he's been trying to heal and there's still more of them. There's always more people who need healing and hope that they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And where I in that see a problem, that Jesus doesn't seem to be enough of a shepherd as one man to meet all the needs of the people, Jesus instead sees the promise. And the promise is first actually for Jesus. It's the promise poured out to him at his baptism when God says to him, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And because Jesus has that promise, the problem he has that he can't meet everyone's needs, well, that problem, it may not go away, but it doesn't have to define him. Because the promise does. He was God's beloved son even before he started to shepherd anyone. Which means that God loves him not because of his shepherding skills. God loves him just for who he is. And so he doesn't have to prove that he is worthy of love by showing that he can meet everyone else's needs. Instead, that promise opens up the possibility of him seeing these people not as a means to prove himself worthy, but he can see these people and say, how can I provide love for them in the best way that I can? Even if that means I can't provide all the love that they need. And so Jesus is free to raise up disciples to do the same ministry that he is called to do. He's not threatened by that. He knows that's what these people need and he's there to provide it. And so he raises up 12 disciples and while I see in those disciples all their problems Jesus sees in those disciples the promise 
that God loves them so much, Jesus is willing to die for them even while they're sinners. And so because of that love, because of that promise, Jesus is able to say, okay, they still have problems, but those problems don't have to define who they are. The promise will define who they are, the promise of God's unconditional love. And that means I can see these disciples as God does, as perfect in God's love, which means that God's love can work through them, even if they are ordinary, flawed people. But perhaps that means that they can go forth and share God's love with other ordinary, flawed people. Maybe, in fact, they are perfect for this ministry, even if they're flawed in so many other ways. I see a problem in my daughter that she can't walk. And as a result, I see a problem in myself as a father that I can't get her to the place where she can. But where I see a problem in my daughter and in myself, Jesus sees the promise. He sees the promise first in me, which is that I am also God's beloved child. That for all my shortcomings, Jesus would gladly go to the cross so that I might know God's love for me as I am. And what that means for me is I don't have to make Sophia perfect by my standards to prove that I am perfect by anyone else's standards. And that sets me free from having a relationship with my daughter where I'm constantly trying to get her to be something so I can feel good about myself. It sets me free to say, hey, as a father, my job is to love my daughter and to provide for her in the best way that I can. And if I have to acknowledge that by myself I can't provide everything that she needs, well, who cares? Because it's not about me. It's about loving her. And so for the past year, every single week, we've had a physical therapist come to our house. A physical therapist who teaches me and teaches mostly Annalisa exercises that we can do to help Sophia get stronger, to help her work towards being able to walk someday. And in the, in the past month, we've even had a, a speech therapist come and start doing the same things with us, teaching her how to, how to form words so she can communicate all the things she clearly wants to say. And I will say, bringing in this outside help, it gives me hope. It gives me a hope not that Sophia will walk one day. I do have that hope. The therapists think, you know, maybe another nine months, she'll get there. But that's not the hope I have from all this. The hope I have from all this is that God will pour out God's love into my heart through the Holy Spirit. I trust that hope won't disappoint. Because what that hope means is that now I can see Sophia as her heavenly father does. As someone who is worthy to be loved. Who is perfect in love. For no other reason than she is my child. And what that means is, I can see that yes, she has a problem walking, but that problem doesn't define her. The promise defines her. 
the promise that God loves her more than life itself. And when I see her through the eyes of that promise, what I see is what God sees, a child who is perfect in so many ways. What I see her through, that pro- through the eyes of that promise is a child who is curious, who may not be able to walk, but who scoots up a storm, who gets into cabinets and climbs upstairs, who every box she finds she'll try to open, who is fearless, jumping off beds. What? She's okay. Her suffering has produced endurance. It's working on her character. I see in my daughter, I see in my daughter her flexibility. She is an amazing child. We have put her on a plane for a five-hour flight, dragged her to Mexico, and introduced her to 30 people at a party she's never met before, and they just pass her around, and she's like, this is cool. We completely throw off her schedule, and she'll still sleep through the night because she has a grace that is far beyond either her mother or mine. But most of all, what I see in her is her perfect friendliness. Every single person she encounters, they're not a stranger, they're just a friend she hasn't met yet, a friend that she's going to make by waving and smiling and laughing at them until they wave and smile back. My daughter is perfect. Not because of what she has done, but because what God has done for her in Christ. And my prayer for this Father's Day is that I forever see her as her Heavenly Father does. Acknowledging that she will have problems, but remembering that what defines her is the promise of that love. A promise that opens up the possibility of seeing her as perfect in God's eyes. Look, we humans, we have a tendency to look at life and see the problems. But Jesus, he always sees the promise. So may we see all God's children through the promise of God's love, starting with ourselves. Amen.